The Big Issues is brought to you with the kind compliments of Kendall Machine Shop. Does your car make a squealing noise and or your brake pedal vibrate when you apply your brakes? Like brake pads, brake rotors don't last forever. Rotors wear and can also become warped. Your brakes are one of the most important features on your car. At Kendall Auto Care Machine Shop, we can resurface your brake rotors without removing them from your car, saving you time and money. Visit us for a free inspection today. Call Kendall Auto Care at 562-1362 or visit us at the Factory Road Branch. This week, the opposition in the lower house delivered its response to the budget statement for 2021. Opposition leader Jamal Pringle and MP Trevor Walker, being the only two members of the opposition bench, were tasked with scrutinizing the financial and policy plans for the year ahead. Both MPs addressed the national implications of their budget before spending times of the budget rather before spending time on its implications for their constituencies. On this segment, we plan to discuss the worth of their response to the budget regarding its overall national implications. Opposition leader Jamal Pringle made the substantive attack from the opposition side on the national implications, and in summary, his response was addressed at what he saw as the lack of empathy and support for those struggling amidst the recession. He he repeated his party's call for economic stimulus and spent considerable time addressing what he argued was a crippling environment for small and medium-sized business owners. MP Walker as well attacked the budget on the issue of stimulus, saying that other Caribbean countries had been able to other Caribbean countries had been able to offer direct financing to unemployed workers. His second major issue was the government's spending record, questioning whether non-tax revenues such as the Citizenship by Investment Program's earnings had been appropriately prioritized since 2014. On this segment, we'll ask, has the budget statement been adequately scrutinized by the other side of the aisle and have credible alternatives been offered? Joining our panel for this discussion, we have Dr. Thompson Fontaine. He is an economist, a Dominica national, and he's currently working in South Sudan. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Thompson Fontaine. We have as well Mr. Arville Grant. He's a current affairs and political commentator. He has joined us over the years to offer his insights on events in Antigua and Barbuda, across the Caribbean, and across the world. Good afternoon, Mr. Arville Grant. And we have as well Mr. Carla Knight. He is a political and current affairs commentator. He's currently a graduate student studying economics. Good afternoon, Mr. Carla Knight. Hey, good afternoon to everyone. Okay, well, Mr. Carla Knight, because you're the only individual whose voice I can hear right now, you're going to get the first question. Um, politically, <laughs> the focus on stimulus, um, is that the right move? Um, as we're looking at the situation in Antigua and Barbuda... So sorry, but there's no feedback and I really don't know what's happening. Um, I can't hear. Could you repeat? Um, are you hearing me any clearly, any better now? Yes, go ahead. 
Yes, um, the focus on stimulus, the opposition's focus on stimulus, for example, uh, overall in terms of saying that they would have liked to have seen uh, a more concerted response by the government to the particular situation that we're in now in the form of stimulus, in the form of various incentives um, to react to what is going on, the recession in the economy. Do you think that is uh, politically the right move and the right message? I um, did think it was a very good talking point, um, primarily because the opposition was quite right, in my opinion, to point out the fact that when you look at what the government had collected um, in, in, in terms of CIP receipts, um, and you um, would have looked at the, 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 there was another talking point about the amount revenue the government was able to collect via taxation and so forth. Um, the question that is logically on the minds of some people um, is why did Antigua go the route of not providing any form of a stimulus during this time um, to assist both the most vulnerable and indeed the business community? Um, they made some comparisons to other countries, namely Barbados, um, I also think that they compare us to St. Kitts as well. Um, now, there may be, there may be a, a very prudent reason. I think the Prime Minister explained that his rationale is we would rather weather the storm um, with as little, um, incurring as little, or as, without incurring too much debt, right? Or, or increasing the deficit by too much. So, you know, he seems to be willing to pay a much more long game where you say, well, if we can just get through this and, 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 and you know, not put the country in too much fiscal strain, um, when you look at the end of it, these other countries who are spending on money on sim stimulus packages, for example, will have to then, you know, repay that at some point. So that may be a valid debate to have. I really do think it's a good, a good talking point, a good, um, a good debate at least to, to ask, well, what happened to this month? Um, we're now in the midst of a recession um, and you're, you're not providing enough to support the most vulnerable in society. And where did this money go is, I think, a very bad question. Um, Mr. Arville Grant, uh, the same question in terms of the issue of stimulus. It's been a major part of the United Progressive Party and to some extent the Barbuda People's Movement's uh, politics during the pandemic. Uh, should we have seen a s stimulus in this budget? Uh, what do you think? Um, it depends on the, the, the philosophical perspective of the people who are managing the country. Clearly, um, <clears throat> the, 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 um, the Prime Minister and his team seem to believe that the, 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 the risks involved in allowing the economy to shrink um, uh, outweighs the, 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 the other issue of um, borrowing money and then having to pay back those funds. One of the things that this discussion had to really take into consideration and try as much as possible to mitigate is the, the fact that all businesses and indeed many um, individuals and families must now be seeing a significant reduction in their reserves. The companies typically hold some reserves to make sure that they could swim through bad times, and families do the same thing. We call it savings. Um, the question really that has to be balanced very finely is at what point 
um, does it become necessary to uh, abandon a tight fiscal policy uh, to ensure that those reserves don't get to a point where individuals, families go under, and uh, small businesses, especially those businesses with very limited reserves, end up going under because then it will take decades um, to rebuild that level of economic mass um, that is critical. Um, if, 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 you know, if, if growth, if growth could mean anything. So, so yes, that that's that. It it can be a prudent policy in the short term to try and hold the the the, the tread bag, so to speak, to try and make sure that um, we don't incur uh, too much extra debt burden. But if this goes on and stretches out, and, um, and we, we're talking about this kind of stuff in the middle of the year and the end of the year, then I think we're going to have to go to a policy where we say to the next generations to come, look, we, this generation, encountered a hell of a problem that, that is too expensive for us to bear, so we have to mortgage it out to to your generation. And I think that would be perfectly understood. Prime Minister taking a gamble um, for his sake, for the government's sake, for the politics uh, of, of, of the Labour Party's sake. One has to hope that it works, but if it doesn't work, um, then um, the, the, the argument being put forward by, say, the United Progressive Party and the and the, uh, the Bobby People's Movement leadership over there, that stimulus is the way to go, will begin to gain powerful traction. <laughs> Dr. Thompson Fontaine, um, are you hearing us? Are you with us? Yes, loud and clear. I can hear you very clearly. Lovely. Uh, the issue of stimulus, um, uh, I mean, Caribbean economies at this time, um, what would it take? What sort of position would a government have to be in and, and what sort of uh, um, perhaps debts would they have to incur uh, to be able to offer stimulus, uh, fiscally, monetarily? Yes, I think herein lies the problem, which was well articulated by the the previous panelist, with regards to just the amount that we're talking about. Um, you have a situation in Antigua where you have thousands of persons who have lost their jobs um, within the, the tourism sector. You have the issue of LIAT that has been plaguing the country for a while. So the question is, how much money would you have to make available? We have only to look at the U.S., the U.S., uh, which is a rich economy. They've had now, they're talking about the third stimulus package uh, for the country. And people are concerned, uh, in particular the Republican Party, they are concerned that this will put the country into a level of debt that it cannot sustain. The same thing for small economies like those within the Caribbean islands. Uh, given the amount of money that, you would, that would be required to sustain, to have a sustained effort. And the longer this drags on, is the greater the cost is going to be. Mm. And the point was made earlier about um, families stepping in, basically families on their own, utilizing their savings in the short term before government steps in. Because it would take a huge amount, I suspect, um, in the probably two, three times the size of, of the of the governments, um, the GDP of those countries to really do something that is meaningful. Because you're talking about several thousands of persons that would have to be sustained over several months. Well, let me, let and me, this um, is not an easy project at all. Let me, let me play a clip for you, uh, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, uh, because uh, MP Trevor Walker, uh, he used the example of Barbados, uh, which we all know is uh, on, on a program with the IMF. But listen to this. Check Barbados. Barbados, Mr. Speaker, is on the IMF program, an IMF program. 
and Barbados has set aside over 170 million US dollars to take care of the hotel workers in the next two years. And I want to repeat that so people understand the comparative analysis that they should do with this government. Barbados is on an IMF program and Mayor Motley, the Prime Minister, has managed to set aside in excess of over 170 million US dollars to pay between 70 and 80 percent of the, 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 the wages for all the hotel workers for the next two years. Uh, so, well, coming from the perspective of an economist and somebody who has, in fact, worked at the IMF, um, why would Barbados be able to offer stimulus despite a clearly protracted and harsh economic situation uh, that it had been in even before the pandemic? Um, and the question that I'd also ask here is, I, I wondered if the statement from the MP was somewhat misleading um, as to if you're on an IMF program, I assume you'd have access to IMF funds. Uh, but uh, if you could give us some clarity, Dr. Thompson-Fontaine. Yes, so that's a very good good point that you make in terms of, of um, Barbados having access to a program. That might have made it easier for them under this program uh, to lay out the way they want to go forward. Bear in mind that tourism is the number one um, uh, sector in terms of earnings for the Barbados economy. So it makes sense to maintain that sector. So I can see the government, for example, deciding that they want to keep the tourism sector open they need to keep the workers employed, but they also understand that the tourism arrivals will be down. So then how do you sustain those workers? And they could easily make a request for that particular type of spending. But look at the amount we are talking about, 170 million just for one sector of the economy. Uh, now, people will say, well, you know, why just the tourism sector? There are other sectors or there are other small business um, parts of the economy that are hurting, or the people that have been that have been let loose, that have been let let out rather. And the question then becomes how do you provide for those in, individuals? So it is very possible, although I don't have the details of the Barbados program, it is very possible that this could have been negotiated as part of the program with the IMF where they, they could gain access to concessionary funds. You would recall that one of the of the points that the Prime Minister of Antigua made was the fact that as a middle income country, they really don't have a lot of access to low funding or low um, interest rates in terms of concessionary borrowing. They're not able to borrow at very low rates of interest. And that is a big constraining factor. However, if you have a, a program with the IMF that comes into play, you, you can be given special dispensation where you can access some of those lower rates. So it is possible, I, I don't know for certain, but it's quite possible that it's within that context they were able to gain that level of resources, which would not be available to a country like Antigua, mm -hmm. given the fact that it does not currently have a program with okay. the IMF. And it, on its own, it cannot really access concessionary spending or concessionary borrowing rates. Mr. Carlin mm -hmm. Knight, um, I, I want to go to the matter of um, CIP revenue and its management. It's been a major theme in, in the opposition's response. Uh, and we explore this issue routinely, and that's the advice given by external agencies that uh, non-tax revenue, like CIP revenue, uh, ought to be used for paying down debt, building infrastructure, and uh, creating financial facilities to weather storms. Um, in Antigua and Barbuda, we pay down debt. We invest in infrastructure, but we also devote CIP revenues to the regular support of government operations. Uh, we've even spent CIP revenues, hundreds of thousands, to pay for uh, One Nation concerts and their costs over the years. For example, according to official reports, 
available online between January and June of 2019, the government spent $430,000 on concert expenses. Uh, in the latter six months of 2019, an additional 120000 was spent, apparently in preparation for the 2020 concert, which occurred in January, two months before the world went to crap. Uh, do you think there's substance to the opposition's position that CIP revenue has not been properly prioritized over the years? I, I do think that there is a debate legitimately about whether or not you should use the CIP monies meet current expenditures or should CIP monies go towards a towards earmarked um, specific projects whether it be infrastructure or capital projects or uh, investment in some other form. I think that the this administration has taken sort of that it is somehow um, okay to sort of um, um, use CIP monies and sort of a consolidated fund kind of a thing where you can just go to that that fund and use it for what you need it. Whereas opposition, I think, and I think when they initially uh, sort of brought the CIP bill, when because you have to remember this was introduced by the former uh, now opposition when they were in government, I think that they had a, a, a much more um, a, a, a narrow vision of CIP monies being used specifically, as you said, to uh, meet its debt obligations or to um, uh, meet uh, specific capital investment projects and not so much that you're going to be putting it within the consolidated fund to meet current expenditures. So there is a sort of a difference in philosophy, clearly, about um, the management of CIP revenues. My concern has been that if, if, if CIP is being used to meet recurrent expenditures in this kind of way, you know, it seems as if we have gone from one sort of monocrop-type economy where we're dependent on tourists or where we're dependent on, on CIP revenues, and we're not looking enough at the diversification of the economy such that when you have an external shock like this one, or if at any point in time there is a clamp down, which, I, which could happen in the foreseeable future, where people are, are concerned about the potential security risks of the CIP program, and there's a clamp down on CIP programs, then what? When you have now real, the CIP program has become so essential to your budget that you're unable to meet any sort of um, expenditure shock because of that. So, you know. I am concerned about the dependency of on CIP revenues, particularly when you're utilizing CIP revenues to to meet recurrent expenditures. And I would uh, agree with the opposition that we should perhaps look for other sources of revenues, such that you can earmark and it should be uh, even even put into law that CIP revenues should really be earmarked for specific projects or for specific. Um, let me, um, forms of expenditure. Let me jump in and just, um, before I go to Mr. Arville Grant, I just want to bring back in Dr. Thompson Fontaine very quickly uh, to ask you the question, um, Caribbean governments are routinely faced with, with crises, and that is a fact. Disasters, droughts, global recessions that affect our tourism markets, uh, and yet still there's a, there's a similar need for government to increase its expenditure to satisfy public demands, uh, and governments are always very hesitant to reduce uh, their expenditure. Um, in his budget statement, the Prime Minister criticized those who argued that the government ought to have uh, been saving money uh, over the years, saying that it had to cope with deficits. Uh, do you think that is misleading? Isn't a deficit created by the quantum the government chooses to spend? 
Um, so I, I really want to ask you, how easy is it for uh, governments of the OECS to actually set aside uh, money in, in, in facilities that can be used in case of emergency? Is that, is that something that's just not feasible at all? Um, there is some feasibility to it. For example, I think the, the, the CPI, the CIP programs probably provide the best avenue. So in the case of Antigua, Dominica, one could make the case that this provided an ideal opportunity for governments to, in fact, be able to set aside some of these monies, given that these were revenues outside of the regular stream of revenue. And uh, the fact that they've been able to make substantial gains in that area really a use for them doing so what what happens very often is that the government feels constrained to basically given that it has the money in hand to use this monies to either sustain or increase its expenditures and that's what has been happening and one of the failures i believe of caribbean governments in particular is that they fail to rein in um, wasteful spending I believe a lot of gains can be made if government was more efficient in terms of its spending patterns. But the, the temptation is once, once you have new resources coming in, you can throw those resources at whatever existing programs you have or projects. And that is where the problem is. So I believe it is possible, it is feasible, given this new um, input of, of CPI revenues. But I also understand the temptation for governments to want to ease their deficits by using these monies to meet current spending. Um, Mr. Arville Grant, um, the opposition leader has leaned heavily on the pandemic's impact on business. Uh, so I want to just play to you a clip of uh, a statement that he made, something he had to say as it re relates to the uh, small business environment. And I want to look, Mr. Speaker, at small businesses, the struggle that they're faced with. Now, given the absence of any job security at all in the private and public sector, this is the time for a government with empathy and a vision to put stimulus measures in place to help the unemployed create self-employment. Uh, so do you think that we should have seen uh, uh, concerted measures uh, along those lines, uh, directed to small business, directed to professionals? Um, because, because really and truly, the thrust of the opposition's response to the budget, and if I interpret it correctly, having watched it, is that essentially the government maintained the status quo. Um, the similar expenditure, uh, uh, similar appropriations, continuation of programs, as opposed to uh, a concerted response to the recession uh, and an increase in expenditure, of course, which our, our, our panelists this afternoon have discussed the risks of that. Uh, but do you think we should have seen some concerted efforts towards small businesses and professionals, some sort of incentivization, even stimulus, uh, that could uh, help to mop up the unemployment that has been created by these large employers in the hotel sector uh, losing so much business? It, it depends on which game you're playing. If, you, <clears throat> if, we may, if we made the assumption that this is going to be a short game, then we perhaps could uh, play out our hand, kind of play um, to, 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 um, to bad light kind of stuff and hope that the, the, um, the pandemic would ease, that it would go away. And that, that quote-unquote short game, I think, may be approaching its end. If, if, and I think I made this point earlier, it becomes very complicated politically and extraordinarily difficult from a fiscal point of view to have... A, the private sector, a large part of the small business sector, 
the, a, a large part of that sector that pays revenues to government being dormant or inactive or otherwise um, stymied because of the pandemic. So over the short, medium term, define that uh, as best you wish, you could get away, I think, with having a tight fiscal policy and hope that things come back with a boom so that everybody recovers quite nicely. But uh, the, the issue that I think government and, and society faces now is how much longer this is going to continue and to what extent a sustained um, situation of, 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 of recession, of, 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 of lack of revenue, of lack of income by a significant part of the population will then stir into significant social and political challenges. If the government gets the sense that that is likely to happen, then you probably will see a change of policy. Where I think the, 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 the policy aims is that hopefully, by the middle of the year, hopefully, the, the, the tourism sector will pick up. Uh, the, the various uh, uh, issuance of vaccination in the United States and Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, that all of those things will begin to show some kind of sign. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure will ease in terms of what is required for, for stimulus. My own view is that if this goes on longer into the second half of this year and into early next year, the calculus is going to have to shift and there will be talk i imagine of some kind of stimulus program but in the short run i think it's a gamble it's a gamble that's worth worth um worth taking if you lose it then the the, the results will be seen in the in the when when ballot box comes around next time uh, dr thompson fontaine um the the, the 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 strategy of refocusing and 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 that has actually if you if you if you follow jamal pringle that has been uh, one of the things that he speaks uh, quite a bit about uh, is the the interest of the of persons who own small businesses and and, and professionals. Yes. Um, so, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, do you think that that strategy, a refocusing on on the small business sector, do you think that's a viable option for creating employment? Uh, and and would a government in in our situation have the means to do so? Should they have have done so, as the opposition is arguing? Yes, you see, part of the difficulty for a country like Antigua where you have the dominance of the tourism sector, what you will find is that a lot of these small businesses themselves depend on what happens in the tourism sector. So as long as you have a situation as we have now, which is really open-ended, because no one knows for sure when the sector is going to come back, it becomes difficult. If, for example, you, you decide now to give some kind of stimulus to small businesses, you would have to take the form of them even just sustaining, just a question of sustaining what they have, okay? That would be the initial thing that we would have to focus on, sustaining persons within. It, it, it would not be possible, I don't believe, given the resources available to a country like Antigua, to be able to provide resources for small businesses to hire new people. Hmm. Well, let me ask you then. Extremely difficult. Let me ask mm -hmm. you then, uh, it, it, perhaps not in terms of uh, government spending, but let's say in terms of maybe tax incentives, uh, uh, maybe mm -hmm. other ways in which you could streamline the, the person's ability to do business, uh, breaks in, in certain respects uh, of regulation, uh, non spending measures in terms of incentivizing uh, and sort of trying to revitalize the small business sector. Do you think we could have or should have seen something like that in this budget, as the opposition is arguing, that that could have been a, a good uh, a way to try and get some life back into the economy, Dr. Dr. Thompson-Fontaine? 
yeah, but again, you see the new difficulty the government has. You have uh, plummeting revenue collection. So if you're talking about providing added in incentives, you know, in terms of tax arrangements for small businesses, it complicates the government's revenue position. The very same government that has to get resources to sustain those businesses. So that's why I say um, any kind of stimulus package to these businesses, especially, you know, where you have a lot of service type um, small businesses that are tied to the tourism industry, it becomes difficult even to offer that kind of, of incentive package. Uh, because what you're actually doing in the short term is that you're hurting government's revenue uh, with no real end in sight. This, this particular shock of the COVID is one that we've never seen. We've already gone through an entire year. It is very likely that we'll see another whole year of pain and suffering. So it, it becomes difficult. And I, and I really sympathize with governments that, that have to make those types of decisions. It's not an easy one. And we just have to point again to a very rich country, the United States, and see the difficulties that they're having to address those those issues to see how difficult it is for countries that, like ours that are developing economies. Well, um, Mr. 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 Colin Knight, on the issue of uh, taxation, uh, the removal of personal income tax, for example, is something that the, the opposition leader, uh, he pointed out quite early on, uh, and the, the opposition has always maintained that it um, was not uh, the, the, the best move. Um, the removal of PIT that has continued to be that has contributed to a situation where, as the PM says, we don't, we don't collect enough taxes. Lower income earners feel harder hit by indirect consumption taxes, and the government relies on non-tax revenue to meet recurrent expenditure needs. Um, do you think that the removal of PIT in the long run was not the wisest of moves, Mr. Mr. Carlin Knight? As, as we hear the Prime Minister in Parliament saying that the wealthy are not paying enough taxes. Well, the, well there's a distinction here between, between the imposition of a tax and whether you're able to collect tax. So even if you had a PIT and there's a problem on the collection side, until you rectify the problem on the collection side and people are still finding ways to evade paying the tax, then you wouldn't really have a, a, a problem of solutions. I think that we have, if, if you were to believe the Prime Minister's rhetoric, certainly um, a, a suitable or adequate tax regime. And the question is whether or not we can improve efficiency on the tax collection side and close loopholes or close the ways in which we are able to evade paying taxes. Um, I also think it would be very politically difficult for the Labour Party to even contemplate remove, um, the imposition of a, CI, uh, of a PIT, PIT because it has been a central philosophical point for the Labour Party, given that they have campaigned on it in previous campaigns. It, it, you know, it, it was one of the talking points in the 2014 election that the first thing that they were going to do was to remove the PIT. They think it was an excessive tax, it was an anti-aspirational tax. And so it became a sort of a central philosophical mooring for them. That are not going to the IMF. So, um, I think it's it's right to point out that the pandemic means that you might have to really reconsider things that you consider to be sort of philosophical. But I, I think it would be a very tough sell to talk about the, um, the imposition of PIT, of PIT now. Well, um, not 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 not, to, uh, not so much the imposition, but um, whether or not you think there's credit. Not, I shouldn't say not, not, that's not the word I want to use. Whether or not you think that it's um, valid the opposition's criticism that um, getting rid of it uh, was a bad idea in the first place. Well, uh, the opposition has already conceded that it would not implement the PIT if it resumed office. And they, they sort of conceded the point that it was not perhaps 
facts that was, was the, 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 the so well, no, I mean no go, no 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 government trying to get back into office is going to tell the people that they're going to well, implement your taxes. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the point. So that, you know, I think that the issue that really has to be focused on for any administration is the on the collection side, ensuring that you're able to whatever your tax regime, looking at the burden of the tax regime, who pays the tax, and ensuring that you have an equitable or fair tax fair tax regime, and that you're able to improve the of collection. And until that is rectified, then it really doesn't matter whether you have a PIT or not. Uh, Dr. Thompson, well, actually, no, Mr. Arvel Grant, I want to play a clip for you um, uh, to do with land and um, the issue of land. And Yes, I'm here. Yeah, uh, to, to the issue of land to do with the, the, the opposition leader. He took issue with a statement in the budget speech where the prime minister said that uh, domestic debts to businesses and statutory corporations uh, would be negotiated, settled via cash, via bond, and also in some instances uh, you could do so via land swap. Uh, listen to this clip from the opposition leader, Jamal Pringle. To use land to pay past debts is to give away the future, Mr. Speaker. Already, Mr. Speaker, farmers are complaining they cannot get land for either agriculture or to graze livestock. And the Prime Minister admitted that just over 60 residential plots of Crown lands were distributed in 2020. So my questions on this are, Mr. Speaker, where is the land for debt policy enshrined? In which piece of legislation can I find it? Which lands are being used to settle debts, Mr. Speaker? And how does the government determine which contractor can be offered land? Uh, so the question to you, Mr. Arvel Grant, is whether or not you think that, uh, as Mr. Prinkle is suggesting, it uh, is a wise move to uh, pass a law to regulate the use of, of land swaps in order to settle government debt. Do you think that's a, a smart move, as the opposition leader well, I, I'm always nervous about the how we use land because it is such a uh, a finite finite part of our of our existence that in the first instance uh, one would really have hoped that we didn't get to a point where we that needed to be revisited because it has been done in the past and uh, and uh, we've always been worried about it and I think we would be reasonably uh, correct to be concerned about it now if we're going to enshrine it in law, we really will have to be very careful that it does not become a kind of runaway horse where every time we have some difficulty um, in terms of balancing our, 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 our public our fiscal uh, program, we, we, we run to, to that act and, uh, and use it to spray off some land to some, some entity that we owe some money to. Over time, and I agree with my previous uh, colleague, uh, that we really have to get the business of collecting taxes right so that collecting the, 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 the resources that should be going into the consolidated fund to pay public debt so that we really do not have to think too frequently of using land uh, mm -hmm. to do that. I, 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 I honestly, I'm nervous about it. <clears throat> I understand the context that we're in. The government would have had to spend an extraordinary amount of resources that would not have been scheduled in order to prepare for this pandemic pandemic we've seen uh, significant infrastructural input in respect of uh, extra hospital facilities uh, extra uh, structures being put in place to cope with the management and distribution of vaccines this clearly was an it, 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 the, the americans would say it came out of left field and we would say this is a yorker that was not anticipated so 
in these difficult times, in mm -hmm. these uncertain times, where the public resources are under extra strain, I could see some need to rationalize the payment of debt, especially to the local private sector, so Mr. that people can get on with, with their businesses. Mm -hmm. And Mr. if Grant, that I includes the use of some pieces of land to do that, yes. but I'm nervous about it becoming institutionalized. I'm nervous about mm -hmm. it being done at all. Let me bring in Dr. Thompson Fontaine, just to ask him a quick question here. Um, and this has to do with social security, but it's also ever so slightly related, Dr. Thompson Fontaine. Um, the, the, the Prime Minister has, in response to uh, concerns raised by the opposition about Social Security, uh, its financial health, uh, its, 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 its performance in terms of on-time payouts, and, and you often have uh, pensioners waiting to get uh, their pensions. That is a, a known thing that happens quite a bit. And Social Security does rely on government subventions, and, and those have tended to come out of the CIP funds. It used to be 2 to $3 million, I believe, a month uh, prior to the pandemic. I don't know what it is now. Um, but the... The Prime Minister, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, has often touted uh, the amount of subventions that the government has given Social Security uh, as a means of demonstrating the um, good performance of his government, uh, that they are giving more money to Social Security in order to meet its, its, its obligations. Um, I want to ask you whether or not that is a, a, a sort of a valid defense on his part. Uh, given that Social Security has a history where um, government administrations in the past have borrowed from Social Security, uh, government in various um, uh, instances has not paid in contributions to Social Security over the years, creating more debt, and then uh, the current administration in, in terms of negotiating down Social Security's debt um, did a land swap for uh, uh, the base property up at Coolidge um, of significant value, which gave Social Security an asset that uh, I, I don't believe generates the, well, it clearly doesn't generate the level of cash, even though it's, it's, it's a, a, an asset with a certain value. It doesn't generate the amount of cash money that Social Security needs to meet its, its obligations. So Social Security has been dealt with in a manner over the years where uh, there's been debt, there's been more debt, and there's been the settlement of debt that doesn't give it cash, even though it needs to pay people cash every month. Um, in such circumstances, can the Prime Minister distance himself from responsibility for Social Security's financial health and its on-time payout performance? No, from what you have described, the answer to that is no, because quite clearly they're in that position because, as you said, success have, have borrowed from them and have not made their payments on time. So that is just a means of settling uh, the scores with Social Security. So the fact that they had access to CPI funds that they could then divert to that was a, was, was a good thing. Problem now becomes when those funds start drying up as they have now, and they have to be diverted to other more pressing uses, then the problem recurs. Now, on the broader issue of, of land swap and so on, in fact, in 2012, I worked with the St. Kitts government, and I actually, um, St. Kitts had a very high level of domestic debt, and we were able to work a, a successful land swap type of arrangement to substantially reduce these domestic debts. I am not sufficiently aware of the situation in Antigua in terms of the availability and so on, of those lands, but that is something that governments have looked at, and it's quite possible that the government of Antigua, looking at the success that St. Kitts enjoyed, may be considering that as one of the options that they have. Mm. But Let me... if the problem, the, the inability to convert these lands to cash, as is the case for Social Security, then that creates another problem that, that they have but... to basically.
Mr. Carla Knight, I'm going to give you the last question for this segment because we're just out of time. I want to play two clips for you. First, I'm going to play um, a clip from the opposition leader, and then I'm going to play a clip from the prime minister. Um, but uh, listen to this. The prime minister is fooling the people when he claims that Antigua and Barbuda is unable to access low-interest financing because of a high income per capita. Yeah, that was a slip-up by the opposition leader, which has been circulating quite, um, quite virally. Uh, and uh, listen to this clip by the prime minister. Because when you listen to the sulfomaniacs, they paint a picture of doom and gloom. They will tell you that Antiguans and Barbudans have no savings, that they are barefooted and hungry on the streets of Antigua and Barbuda. Well, guess what? The figures do not bear out that lie. For the 10-month period ending October 2020, the money supply grew by 1.8% to $3.5 billion. This was related to positive developments in narrow money, which includes private sector demand deposits and currency in circulation. This is borne out by the growth of $97 million in household saving deposits between January and October. This idea of destitution and the need for further cash grants, clearly those who oppose us, they speak from a position of ignorance. Uh, now, w w the questions I want you to answer, Mr. Mr. Carla Knight, as we end this segment are um, that first clip may be seen as a gaffe by the opposition leader, but I want to ask you whether or not it is merely uh, simply another example which is indicative of the fact that he's not the best speaker and he, he doesn't, his, his, his performance in Parliament is, is, is not a fantastic parliamentarian. Um, there's that. So I want your opinion on that. And then there's also uh, the sort of bravado of the prime minister in this clip where despite the fact that he's simultaneously saying 11,000 people are unemployed, uh, he's very uh, sort of forthrightly saying that, you know, the idea that persons are really struggling is, is nonsense which ought to be dismissed. Um, what do you think about both? Oh, well, um, the, first, the first question is kind of skipping. You're asking to comment on what? Sorry? Uh, Mr. Pringle, the, 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 the slip-up that he made in Parliament, whether or yeah. not we consider that just a slip-up or whether or not we consider that uh, another example uh, in the line of examples uh, of our listening to Mr. Pringle uh, that indicate that he's, he's uh, for the opposition side, he's really not the best parliamentarian, he's not the best speaker, and he doesn't impress. I think it's safe to say that Mr. Pringle is not the strongest speaker on the opposition. Um, I, I also think that there was an issue in, in terms of maybe preparation, where you sometimes prepare a script if it, if it was heat there. There's a huge debate about whether or not he was prepared the script or not, I don't know. Um, but certainly in terms of your practicing, you're literally making sure that you give yourself enough time to to get every all the words right and so forth. But again, you know, we have to give some allowance. He's a first-time parliamentarian. Yeah, but I mean, how much allowance? Because I hear that argument over and 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 over. How much allowance does one give uh, to uh, one as, as simply you saying you're a first-time parliamentarian? I mean, <laughs> at what point does, at what point does the public right. say this is not a good standard and it's not good enough? Well, I mean, they, they have no choice. That's the only person that they have right now. So this is what they have to do. He has to continue to practice and get better and hope that he gets better in the future. Um, and then, you know, um, MP Walker is more concerned about the, about the, the issues of Barbuda, as he rightly should, um, because he's the elected MP of Barbuda and there are substantial issues there. 
and, and so that he is, uh, whether we like it or not, the lone opposition voice in Parliament representing Antigua and Barbuda, Antigua and Barbuda, but Antigua. So, you know, he has to continue to practice, and the United Christian Party has to continue to work with him to improve that. I think it's more important for whatever to focus on the substance of what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, ignore the gas here. And, and, and to, to his credit, the Prime Minister also made a gas in Parliament. I mean, when he was, he was pronouncing Tessaros or something like that. I mean, these things happen um, for some more frequently than others. Uh, but we hope that he gets better with more exposure and, and, and practice. And, and the Prime Minister's um, statement about... Um... Yeah, certain, yeah, yeah, but you can't have it both ways. I mean, you're right to point out the prime minister is also complaining that hey, we have one of the you know we just had a pandemic which was one of the the, um, the, the highest economic one of the most significant economic shocks that we've had in modern history um, that has left a lot a lot of people unemployed. Um, so you can't have it both ways. You can't say on the one hand that people are out of work. Um, tourism sector is decimated and all those kinds of things. And to keep the economy afloat, making sure that people have work and money in their pockets, you're going to, you know, sort of trade off the risk against the health the health side. And then say, well, you know, people have been managing to save so they're not hungry. Yes, that might be too. They might have some kind of what you might call um, um, catastrophe spending, but but or, or some buffer so that you, you don't have that catastrophe spending. But as, as Ava Grant rightfully pointed out, you know, we don't know the duration of, of, of this of this of this pandemic. This is one of the most important things that this is an uncertainty about the duration of, about the pandemic. And until the health side is 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 this 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 economic lag prolonged. Mm-hmm. And so even if people had some kind of savings, some kind of buffer to help them, that that's gonna as the pandemic of course draws out. They're going to need to go into that 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 that, that savings, and so we're going to need some kind of um, 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 stimulus or some kind of package to assist the most vulnerable. And as people are not working, therefore, it, it, so in, incoming revenue is going to be dried up. Yeah. Um, so that means disposable income is going to be dried up. So therefore, I mean, you, you can't mm-hmm. you can't then say you know we are better off than other people. I mean, this is a pandemic and it's hurting everyone. And All right, so um, there has to be some kind of intervention from the government. Yeah, I, 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 we're going to have to leave it there. We are over time, actually. I want to say thank you to Mr. Carla Knight. That's the last voice you heard speaking there. Also to Dr. Thompson Fontaine uh, and Mr. Arville Grant, who joined us as well. Thanks to all three of you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Bye. No problem. Thank you very much. A pleasure. The Big Issues is brought to you with the kind compliments of Kendall Machine Shop. Does your car make a squealing noise and or your brake pedal vibrate when you apply your brake? Like brake pads, brake rotors don't last forever. Rotors wear and can also become warped. Your brakes are one of the most important features on your car. At Kendall Auto Care Machine Shop, we can resurface your brake rotors without removing them from your car, saving you time and money. Visit us for a free inspection today. Call Kendall Auto Care at 562-1362 or visit us at the Factory Road Branch.